Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 72 of the Fitness Devil podcast. Today's guest is Eric Helms of 3DMJ. We get into a podcast that's less about scientific stuff, which Eric's really brilliant for, and more about his philosophies and attitudes towards various fitness industry topics, his evolution and maturity as a coach, some of the attitudes that he once had that he's grown out of. We talk about how he feels luck has influenced his career and how he's been in a position to benefit from that luck. His thoughts on his quote, you shouldn't want to be hugely successful early in your career. We'll give it away. He explains why he feels that way. And we take a look at this new rush to, for fitness professionals wanting Instagram success as a route to credibility and sometimes not necessarily putting in the time and effort uh, to learn the skills as a coach and more. So stick around. Enjoy. It's a great episode. Shut up and sit down. Hey guys, how's everyone today? Uh, we have taken a lot of pride in bringing on guests who have been doing really great work in the fitness industry, and some have, some of those guests have turned that work into a powerful reach and influence through our entire industry. Uh, that doesn't really adequately describe how Helms has affected trainers and the end client through those trainers. So today we welcome that influential yet humble guest all the way from Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, welcome, Eric, and. Sometimes I introduce people, but I kind of wanted you to give us a brief rundown of your educational background and your current work with 3DMJ, with Mass, and any other current projects. Well, it's an honor to be here, and I really like how you both described me as humble, and then they were like, hey, now you have to talk about yourself. So this is a lose-lose. It's a catch-22. No, uh, no, honest, honestly, a huge honor to be on. Thanks for having me. Um, for just to give you a little more background on me, I am basically just a dude who really loves lifting weights, um, trying to get jacked, trying to get strong, and uh, has a natural obsessive nature. So that lifting kind of took over everything in my life, including my education, my career, um, and just became a very much a lifelong passion um, thus far. Not that I'm going to die anytime soon, knock on wood. Uh, anyway, so my education, to take a less morbid turn, uh, I got a bachelor's degree in fitness and wellness under the uh, broad spectrum of sports management, did a master's degree in exercise science and health promotion, uh, and then I had the, the awesome opportunity, which has been truly something I'm incredibly grateful for, to come out to New Zealand to study at the Sports Performance Research Institute New Zealand at Auckland University of Technology. And I did my uh, second master's here, which gave me entrance into the PhD. And my research is focused on uh, nutritional manipulation, specifically protein and dieting strength athletes and bodybuilders, and then autoregulation and powerlifting. And I just recently completed my PhD oh, about a year ago. So, yeah. So now you're legitimate. We really now I'm actually worth listening to yeah. before I was a total moron. And you need a PhD to do anything in life, just for the record. That's what you I just up the PhDs we've had on the podcast. We've had Mike Isertel a few times. We've had James Hoffman, Brad Dieter. There's a whole bunch more. Uh, Brett Contreras. It actually, it's kind of getting that out of hand. So it's getting to the point where I mean, we won't even look at someone if they don't at least well, have a master's. Well, and they so. all lead with it too. It's just like you. Like they just lead. Like you have to drop the PhD. And I'm a doctor. And like we get it. You I like that? to do the pre-post workout. So I'm I'm Doctor Eric Helms PhD. You know, just to get that. <laughs> Make sure I've, 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 I've both primed my, my name and then also 
made sure I'm, I'm recovered from saying my and name. You paid so. enough money for it. Like you should, you deserve at least like one good one where like you feel good about saying it, you know? Yeah. I like that. Yeah, for sure. Andrew, what, if you're not look, we don't have this on video. Andrew just grabbed his cat and that's part of the interview now. This is Ozzy. You, like our listeners can't see because we didn't put video up, but yeah, Ozzy's up with me. He's a friendly little bugger. Uh, quick, quick explanation of what uh, 3DMJ is and what mass is. So that we Absolutely. So 3DMJ, that's 3D Muscle Journey. Um, that is something that I co-founded with Jeff Alberts, Alberto Nunez, Brad Loomis uh, in 2009, end of 2009, beginning of 2010, right around there. Um, and this was our attempt to try to bring uh, unity, exposure, support, and evidence-based information to the drug-free lifting world, uh, primarily natural bodybuilding. So that's where we all had a background in, um, but a lot of us are also powerlifters, so we do a lot of that as well. Um, we kind of started out as <laughs> back when it made sense, an online magazine, um, which is becoming less relevant with social media, that kind of scope. And then we became a coaching company and hit that kind of full steam say around 2011, 2012, and um, got a little away from our mission statement, although we have done a lot of great work and it's been great to work with so many clients. Uh, but in the last, say, three years since we brought on Andrew Valdez, our chief operations officer and just an awesome partner to have, uh, we have uh, kind of reinvigorated our, our mission statement of providing that support and information through our podcast, regular blog posts, uh, in social media engagement on on Instagram and, and doing stuff like this. So. Appreciate you helping me further that message. And then Mass is monthly applications in strength sport. And that is for the uber nerd who also wants to have big muscles and be jacked and tan and strong and all that fun stuff. Tan optional, but jacked and tan goes nicely together. Um, and uh, that's myself, Greg Knuckles, and Mike Zerdos. And that's a monthly research review where we cover the latest research in uh, sports science as it relates to nutrition and training for getting strong or getting big or getting shredded. And we, and we've we had, had we've had Greg Knuckles on. I was gonna say I just probably gonna say it, but Greg probably sounds like the smartest dude. Like he sounds way smarter than anyone we brought on. Like even if he wasn't smart, he just has that smart sounding voice. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. If he and the reason why he doesn't wear glasses, it would just be too much. Yeah. You know? <laughs> they wouldn't yeah. take him seriously. So. Oh, I think people would just be too intimidated. Yeah. You know, I don't. I don't think you'd be able to listen. You'd just like nod your head and be like, <laughs> "Oh my god, you're so smart." So. Well, it's, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. You talked about um, like going away from your mission statement, but I guess that's probably like a lot of businesses that probably blew up like you did. It's almost like you, you couldn't stick to it because things probably just hit you right in the face. Like, would that be kind of accurate? Yeah, and no, that's a good way of saying it. You know, we had some pretty high profile clients at a certain point. They basically blew us up. You know, Matt Ogus being probably the most prominent. You know, Bryce Lewis being another, but there are others too. Um, and very quickly, we found ourselves spending all of our time working in our business, not enough time working on our business. So, yeah, that's definitely accurate. Well, the re one of the reasons why you're on here right now, um, we sort of arranged for this a long, long time ago informally, but uh, you presented here in Edmonton in September this past year uh, at the L2 Fitness Summit. And at several points during your talk, you emphasized an evolution and maturity of your approach to coaching. And, and with a lot of humility, and that's why I said that to start with, uh, what are the major shifts in your philosophy towards coaching and, and towards how we interact within the fitness industry from your earlier days? And then yeah. follow that with a second question. 
you can come back to what traps do you feel fit pros get caught in? For sure. Yeah, that's so, so many, I think, um, I just did a really poor time stepping outside of my own shoes when I first started as a trainer. You know, like I said, I have this kind of obsessive, uh, natural tendency, which I've had to curb to my own benefit over time. Um, and when I first started getting into bodybuilding personally and powerlifting personally, they were so interesting and engaging and positive for me that I think I put that goal on everyone who came to me and, and if I could, you know, um, and when I couldn't put that goal on someone, I either wasn't interested in working with them or I saw them as whether explicitly realized it in my own brain or not as weak or not wanting it hard enough or not, you know, just, just all the things that basically stated what I'm doing is right and who I am is the best. And you just need to be more like me and your life will be better, uh, which doesn't work well in relationships of any type. Uh, and especially not when you're, you're mentoring someone else uh, in, in their fitness journey. So I got into the very common trap, you know, where you have kind of those water cooler conversations at the gym when you're a trainer of bitching about clients and how they never work hard enough. They don't want it. And when they don't resign up or they leave, it's all on them. And it took me a few years to realize it. But I think that's the mark of a shitty trainer, hopefully just an early trainer who fell into the same trap as me, who's. Um, maybe we'll get more mature and better one day, but there's a lot, there's so many things I look back on and wish I'd done differently or done better, um, or just had the humility and the wisdom to realize that maybe I just didn't know everything at 22 uh, or 23, however old I was when I was a trainer, I guess I would have been, yeah, 22, uh, when I first started. So yeah, once I started actually, uh, meeting clients where they were at, um, and focusing on, them instead of myself or trying to turn them into the one little pathway I had, um, I started to do a lot better. Um, and I think an interesting thing was that I started through DMJ with the desire to work with people who were bodybuilders and powerlifters who had that kind of same passion. Yeah. And I expected it to be vastly different, but I quickly realized that the same uh, revelations I had as a personal trainer and what took me from being a crappy personal trainer to a less crappy personal trainer would be the same things that took me from a novice uh, strength and, and physique coach to someone who um, more often than not does better than, than worse for their clients. Um, and that was, again, meeting them where they're at, uh, spending less time talking, more time asking questions, um, thinking about their long-term sustainable career development in the context of their lives, and uh, very much thinking holistically and, um, and yeah, focusing more on the human interaction and the relationship than necessarily, uh, the science and what's optimal. Well, and it's interesting you say that because I think that most people would assume they go into that, we'll say niche crowd, but you would assume that they're highly motivated because they've chosen a sport where you kind of feel like you need to. And it's, it's interesting that you say that you ran into the same problems. And I think that most people don't, they don't assume, they assume the same thing that we probably started off thinking. You know what I mean? So it's interesting that it's exactly the same problem. Not exactly, but it's obviously the same problems still occur. Yeah, and it's it's not so much that, that bodybuilders are actually people who go off their diets all the time or, or, or skip days in the gym or cheat or uh, or don't have an incredible work ethic. They almost, to, to a fault, do in many cases. Uh, that's not the issue at all. It's that if two bodybuilders get together, one as coach and one as athlete, who both 
only value hard work and see any time something isn't working as a failure of character, as a failure of uh, your ethos as a bodybuilder and as something to fight or go to war with or just beat into submission and then just be more stringent with your diet, more strict, um, you know, put down the idea of balance and be like, look, I'm just going to focus on being an extremist and, and that's the way to go. And any time I get any hint of my own humanity showing through, I just have to crush that. Um, that ends up working in the short term and then causing a lot of problems or a lot of just uh, poor development as a human over time that eventually bites you in the ass later. Um, I think the bodybuilders who I see who have long-term successful careers um, versus doing really well and then burning out or doing really well and struggling in other avenues of their life and kind of fading into obscurity um, or get injured or, or something like that more tragic is are the ones who realize that for them to succeed in one very specific specialized avenue, they need to have a support around that instead of kind of this crumbling foundation underneath it. So that comes from um, acknowledging your your humanity. That comes from acknowledging the things you need, acknowledging that you can't do it alone, uh, seeing where you are making concessions that are, let's be honest, easier to make. It's yeah. a lot easier to be a hermit and do a prep than it is to gain the the emotional and nutritional competency so that you could, you know, go out to eat with your wife or, you know, do things around town or, or look a little more like a regular human than some, you know, animal pack ad from the, the mid 2000s, you know. <laughs> and uh, so so those types of things are, are things that when I started emphasizing those with my clients and also with myself, I actually saw greater success uh, rather than, oh, I had to make these concessions and I only made it to 98%. I just, you know, it's not good to push those last 2%. It's like, no, you have to acknowledge that as much as you want to be a machine, you're not a machine. And just until you actually acknowledge your own humanity, you're probably not going to uh, succeed to your greatest capacity, at least in the long run. When you mentioned the Animal Pack ads, uh, what, there's a couple of bodybuilders who are famous for those and Frank McGrath, or Frank McGrath as everybody calls him, so he's from Newfoundland. We actually went to university together. I knew him fairly well back really? then. I haven't seen him in years. But <laughs> I always did those ads. Did you, did <laughs> you sitting in front of Did you, you know, cough down the vitamins? Like Yeah. Like I remember like looking at like I think I was, must have been like 17 and I'm buying these fucking Amazon or um off eBay animal packs and I'm like I can't even get the vitamins down. But man was like I thought I was just going to get so jacked. Like they made vitamins cool for like a very short period of time. Mm. But those ads, man, they have this yeah. – uh, I love the art in them actually because it's always a black and white. Yeah. And it's always Frank in a – like the iconic ad is him in this – looks like maybe a studio apartment or like uh, like like maybe like a one-room rented like basement in <laughs> like pro – probably in Los Angeles. He's probably like – you know, can barely afford to to yeah. to support and go to the go to the gym in LA, and he comes home and all the, all there is is like a like a poster of Arnold and and, and uh, on the back of the room, and then him looking mildly depressed because he's not at the gym while he's in this little basement, and you just get the idea that there's maybe some girlfriend back in the corner just looking onward with like, <laughs> you don't even know I'm here, do you? You know? <laughs> could, could you imagine like that now? Like that that's like one snapshot in time, but like if he was around during like the Instagram age, like what would it, it probably wouldn't even look any different? It would just be a bought a bunch more pictures with, with the girlfriend probably in some of them. Yeah. It's, it's a funny thing. Like, um, I think there's also a lot of, a lot of relatability in those ads. Like I think that the, 
like that that personal struggle yeah. against yourself and trying to get control through hardship is kind of what really makes people who compete in bodybuilding love it. Um, but it's also it's it's like it's like you're you're kind of tightrope walking a little bit, you know, and you're and you're you're skirting very close to the line of of damaging other parts of your life when you do bodybuilding. So the the like the the ability to to push yourself to the limit and come back and say not only did I survive, I became better and I succeeded. I think it can be a very, very, very positive thing if you let that bleed into other aspects of your life, but it can be a very damaging thing if it only gets displayed uh, through through physicality, you know? Um, so like the lessons I've learned from bodybuilding are why I have such a desire to, to pay it forward and, and, uh, and, and help other people because it's made me capable to get a PhD. It's made me um, willing to sit in conflict with my spouse or my family members and develop a deeper relationship. And I have more confidence. Ironically, like it sounds crazy, but through bodybuilding, I have more confidence that I'm going to have a lifelong marriage uh, just because I'm less fearful and I know that I can change and, and things like that, you know? So that is something that I think is really lacking in the current bodybuilding culture, but both in the, the competitive side where yeah. it's very, very focused just on getting on stage and in, like you're saying, like the Instagram culture, which is more about selling bodybuilding as an aesthetic lifestyle, you know, kind of the idea that that all started back with Joe Weider, like back when, when Arnold became this the sexy guy instead of just this obsessive bodybuilder. Um, like, hey, if you get hot, girls will like you and then your life will be good and you'll have money. And, you know, it's basically saying here, have these uh, superficial life goals and then get there via superficiality. And somehow that's going to make you feel happy on your deathbed when you no longer have the body or the hot girl because, you know, mortality takes us all to take it to a morbid place. Yep. But I'm basically saying that we need something <laughs> a little deeper in life and um, bodybuilding can be a vehicle for that. But if it's not, bodybuilding can be a negative in my opinion. Well, I guess a bunch of people are probably finding that out right now. <laughs> that yeah. Those goals didn't work out. So the second part of the question is, uh, especially as it geared towards fit pros, do you, what traps, like what are some major traps you feel some uh, fit pros get caught into early in their careers, struggle to get out of, and, and usually leads to a lack of long-term success? Yeah, I think I think it's it's really scary to me how fast social media moves. And I think this is all very much an impression. It's not real, you know. Uh, well, I'll explain what I mean by that in that, in the real world of, of what we do in the gym, what we do in the kitchen, and you know who we look up to and who we follow, um, we tend to vet people for a while before we go like that. That's a that's an information source I'll listen to every time. Like you might jump around when you're young and watch the next YouTube flavor, or the next Instagram flavor, or like oh, I wonder what this guy with the great body's doing. But they don't become like a trusted source in your brain until you've been exposed to them. They build trust. Uh, you like what they're doing, you get a sense of their personality and you read their content, you jive with their writing style or speaking style. And then as you get deeper and deeper, you're like, yeah, this, this makes sense. This worked for me when I, when I did it. And then, you know, long-term you might go, yeah, that X, Y, Z person, th that's a really good source of information. Um, that doesn't mesh with the fact that people feel they have to post at least once per day on Instagram, that if you're a YouTuber, you have to put out almost daily videos um, and that bloggers even feel the need to write at least a weekly article. Um, and simply put, there is not that many things that change or happen in fitness 
uh, and especially not a narrower field of fitness like bodybuilding or powerlifting that requires that frequency of content. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, to be relevant, um, you do have to have some level of frequency of putting out content or at least making yourself known, uh, whether that's promoting old content, whether that's just talking about things. Um, and I think there are ways to do that right, but there's also ways to get caught up in it. And while obviously I think it's just morally wrong to like copy someone's work, plagiarize or just take a meme and recreate it and make it your own, I do understand the pressure uh, to do so. And I think if you feel like, shit, I'm, I'm trying to study full time, I'm trying to work and I'm also trying to get enough of a presence so I can have a stable career in fitness where I'm not working 60 hours a week as a trainer, uh, I'm going to have to create a, some online content. Uh, and I don't have the time to do all of that and be really creative. So you know what? I'm just going to find some high quality stuff, semi plagiarize it and post it. You know, I think that happens all the time. Uh, and a less uh, ethically poor way of doing that is just putting out really dry derivative content. You know, like I'll take my shirt off or I'll look over my shoulder while I'm wearing some booty shorts and then I'll say some random inspirational quote or something that's unrelated to it. Um, and, and, and really it's just an, ex it's, I'm, I'm just finding an excuse to post a picture of me saying, Hey, at the very least, I, I'm, I am personally fit like me buy my shit or hire me. Um, and I think this content that is really not helpful to anyone, um, and probably very unfulfilling to people actually making it, uh, is driven by that feel that you have to just be out there and you have to be known, you have to be known yesterday. And I think it's also partially economics. It is difficult to make a career in fitness. But I think the, that, that trap, it doesn't actually, even when you do have the natural like gift of having a great physique from poor, mediocre, or short, short periods of time training, you don't actually want that early success because then that, that's all you can be. It's kind of like you know actors who early on became the superhero right and then they felt they could only get those roles they didn't really find meaning uh and then their lifespan of acting is going to end as soon as they no longer look like a superhero so they're turning you know 38 or something like that and they can't get a role but they've got another 40 years left to live so i think that same parallel happens in fitness um where you can only stay as that super sexy cool newcomer on the block with the hot body uh for a limited amount of time and it's not just related to how well you can keep your physique up, but also do you understand the changing environment of, of the fitness industry, social media, et cetera, et cetera. And then you're constantly chasing something else. You're trying to transform yourself into something instead of just being true to you and leaning on your strengths. And then one day you look up and you just don't really know who you are and, and you're no longer relevant and you're chasing sponsorships. And more importantly, while you're, even though your followers might be growing, the engagement is decreasing because you don't have a brand message anymore. You've changed who you are to fit whatever new thing comes around. Now you've got to sell fit tea. Now you've got to sell an ebook. Now you've got to sell coaching. Now you've got to sell group coaching. And each time you said, this is the thing you need and then betrayed that two months later. So in the end, you look up and, and, and you're just one of the sea of faces of, of people with a great body with very little to contribute. And I think that like, I, this sounds just kind of like I'm ranting and raving and talking great. about all these these shitty fit pros. But what I'm really saying is, hey, don't go down that route or you're going to have to figure out something else in 10 years 
or you're just going to be more and more disgusted with, with, with what you have to do to be successful and feel trapped. And I just think that's a, it's like an old, it's like an old school. Like when he's up at the altar and he's like, look at me now, look at the baby. Do I look happy? And he just shakes it. He's like, don't fucking do it. (laughs) It's like, that that, that to me is like, you could have wrote that out and then put that at the end of it. And ever, you would have made a lot of people sad. Mm. And I know I have something to say. It's all this sort of like got jumped ahead to one of the questions we had, but I still want to ask it and, and dive into it a bit more. It's like, I, I really noticed this. I feel like this newish generation of trainers, and I wasn't going to use the word millennial, but I think some people kind of will grab on to sort of a, a shift in the way that millennials see the world and want to have more impact earlier on, which I don't think is a negative thing at all. And then they feel like they're in this massive rush within the very beginning of their career to achieve recognition status early in that career. And I think you spoke a lot on that. And then you wrote a very extensive thing, but you said, you shouldn't want to be hugely successful earlier, early in your career. We've obviously talked about the fit pros, the Instagram side, and we want to come back to that with another question, but let's just talk about the career side. So can you explain more about what you, why you wrote that, what you, what you believe? Yeah, I, I think, you know, like a lot of the times in the evidence-based community, we get mad about quote unquote charlatans. You know, we, we, we see these people with a huge reach putting out poor information. And I think our, I think we, we too often attribute malice to what is incompetence. I don't think every time someone says something ridiculous to a huge audience, are they actually just trying to make money and be controversial? I think a lot of the times they just don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Um, and that's because they've confused having an audience with being an expert. Um, and you know, especially when you get social approval earlier than when you have that expertise, it just reinforces that Dunning-Kruger effect, you know? So I think if, if your goal is to actually have a positive impact and have, you know, to, to not look up, and, like if after you died, you could wake up and look back 20 years and not be seen as the way we look at like medical quacks of the 1930s, you know? There's this really good podcast called Sawbones. Uh, and uh, for those who like medical history, you'll enjoy this, but it's a, a couple and uh, uh, the main gal is a doctor and her husband kind of acts as the, the Watson to her Sherlock. You know, he's funny. He asks questions and she displays her, her knowledge of medical history and her, her expertise as a doctor. Um, and they go through the 1800s and earlier and talk about all the crazy shit that we have done as humans. And, you know, they're naming these people by name and how they, you know, they, they created a whole career based on complete nonsense. And many times out of incompetence and in a lack of humility and sometimes yeah out of being a charlatan but man like you don't want that to be you a hundred years from now on whatever the equivalent of a podcast is so the reason why you don't want early success is that you're not ready for it um and i i don't even think it's a generational thing i think it is a a crowded space i think it's the speed of social media and i think it's pressure and i think it's economics and i shudder to think what would have happened if I'd had an Instagram account in let's say 2006 or 2007. Yeah. Um, I think it really would have hampered my career. I also, uh, you know, to make no, no bones about it. I, I first blew up in 2011 when I got the opportunity to coach Matt Ogus and did well. And he had me on his, his YouTube channel. Um, but I'm so glad that happened in 2011, not say even like 2009, um, where, you know, that was like my first year of coaching bodybuilders. And, 
um, to be able to speak with experience and education. You know, at that point I had, I was completing my master's. I competed in, you know, I think seven shows myself done around similar number of powerlifting meets and coached, if you include general pop and, uh, and bodybuilders and powerlifters, you know, hundreds of people. I had enough experience uh, to know what I knew and to also knew that there, know that there were things I didn't know to be able to speak in a way that was, was helpful to people more than harmful. Uh, even now when I look back, and I think that's, that's really important to, to speak, to, to not feel paralyzed that like, oh, I can't do anything because I don't know anything enough yet, but to just help in the way that you can uh, and not try to step above your level of expertise, which is hard to do. I spent six years in relative obscurity in the fitness industry as a grander thing. It developed a pretty strong reputation locally here at Edmonton. I worked for the same company as Dean Somerset. So Dean is like the only major fit pro that I knew personally outside of, see, we snuck his name in early. Good. All right. I like that. Uh, <laughs> <versus> <laughs> um, the industry as a whole. Now, you know, the last two years has been traveling to fitness conferences. Obviously Dean and I have had the podcast for a little over a year and gotten to meet tons and tons of really amazing people. And while I'm far from a household name, like now all of a sudden I'm getting out there into that space. Uh, you know, I finally have a website ready for that. Some cool stuff's happening there. Uh, and again, like I said, this podcast has been kind of a fun vehicle to, to get all of us and, and our, mostly our guests out into this greater space. But I don't know what I would have done if something had happened very early on. And I'm actually very proud that I got, you know, those six solid years the last two years have still been like pounding client sessions and like working tons and tons of hours and gaining shit tons of experience and i really value that and sometimes i worry that you know this newest generation is trying to skip that and I, again i think that there's some risk of this sort of goes to one of the next questions but like nick tuminello talked about gatekeeper syndrome and how having done this for a long time we now look at the newest generation move the goalposts a bit and judge what they're supposed to do to gain credibility by the generation we grew up in. Mm -hmm. so, and I really liked how Nick talked about that. If anyone's interested in that conversation, we recently had Nick on. It's just amazing. He's really smart. He's like up there with Greg Knuckles in terms of just being articulate and really forming thoughtful discussions. So Eric's not in, in this place where I haven't decided, okay, is this new paradigm really legitimate? And, you know, is Instagram this, this new way of – because obviously people consume information and are listening to people who have grown popular on Instagram. We know people who have blown up on Instagram, but who also have the experience. Like, so he leaves fantastic for this. Mm -hmm. Jordan Syatt. But there are other people trying to follow in their shoes, cut those corners, skip those steps to relevancy. So I'm a little <laughs> torn on that, but I'm just really grateful that I had a lot of years, relative obscurity, just working, gaining that experience. Mm -hmm. And I think I hope that the new generation doesn't try to skip all that, go right to having a podcast right away and doing all these other media-based things without actually fucking working with clients. And I feel like there's a bit of that happening. So what do you think? No, I agree. And I think it's really easy for someone who has been in the game, quote unquote, a little bit to let uh, ego get in the way and, and, and look at like, man, I had to put in X number of years to be successful, and this kid's successful now. It's like, maybe they're doing something right. Maybe they know something about marketing. Maybe you have read uh, scientific articles and, and nothing else and just leaned on your strengths and rested on your laurels and not actually taking the time to learn the stuff that might actually come hard for you, like marketing. 
And I was definitely a victim to that as well. And I don't want that uh, to be confused. Like I want people to be successful as early as they are ready for it. I'm not saying, look, you have to take a, a school of hard knocks approach because it took me a while to be successful. And I think that's, that's an important thing to distinguish. And I think Nick T is hundred percent right there. Uh, like we should want good people to be successful as they possibly can be early on because it'll make us all better. Um, I think, you know, Greg Knuckles is a great example of that. Uh, Greg Knuckles popped on the scene in 2014 and now he's, man, he, he's an absolute like top, top tier go-to hardcore science guy who can also get that information out to people who aren't scientists. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, if I let my ego talk, I, I, I wouldn't have done mass with him. Cause I'm like, well, this, this kid doesn't know what he's talking about. I've, I've been doing this since 2006 or whatever the hell I'd say. And, and but instead, um, I, I've, I've, I've wanted to see Greg become more and more and more successful. I've partnered with him. He's made me better. I've learned from actually more so Lindsay, uh, Lindsay Knuckles, uh, about marketing and, and, and being in, in doing things in a way that, that help you get a larger platform, which ultimately helps you help more people. And I think a lot of the folks I looked up to early in my career emphasized the science to a fault. There was just a lot of people doing what they liked and what they were good at and sometimes actively eschewing the concept of, of marketing or putting it down and in the end shooting themselves in the foot and being unable to reach a broader audience and then bitching about why the evidence-based community is so small. It's like maybe because you're, you have made no effort to learn how to actually put your stuff out there um, and you've confused correlation for causation, which is ironic given you're from the evidence-based community, that you think anyone who uses these marketing strategies is also uh, you know, selling or promoting BS. And I think we've, we've come to see lately that some of the people who've succeeded quickly but still have a high level of competence um, have been able to learn and stay relevant with the yeah. changing uh, marketing things you need to do, uh, staying relevant with Instagram, all that stuff, and, and also making sure they, they have something worth, worth saying. Um, and you guys brought up some great examples of that. And I'm a relative latecomer to this. I was kind of the grumpy old man for a long time. And then I only got on Instagram in 2016, um, which is far too late. And we only started getting an email uh, list developed like in, in 2015, 2016, which is also far too late. So I think I can definitely look back and see where we could have been successful with much more successful with 3DMJ probably five years ago. Um, and and say, hey, that's where we could have done better. But at the same time, I'm also, I would prefer to be successful later than I would to be successful too early. Um, so I guess my message is, is uh, don't feel like you have to pay your dues. Yeah. Just feel like you need to learn your craft. Well, and that goes know? to like learning your craft allowed you to kind of weather the, I didn't join Instagram early enough. Like obviously you were successful in other ways, but like without that, you just become a hustler. Like, and it's almost like they're two mm -hmm. different things. It's like you, you can be good at your craft and hustle, or you can just be good at the hustle. And I think that those people don't last long term. And the other people can weather the storm because you can still make money coaching people. Like that's never going to go away, at least until AI gets in the, I don't know when that's happening. It's probably soon. But like getting good at your craft is never a bad idea. You can learn the other shit later, but there is something to be said for adopting stuff early, especially if you have the brain for it in terms of the back-end knowledge. Well said. This is a great example of just doing that, is learning the craft. So, Dean, you've been in the industry, like, officially, what, about two years or just slightly under? Yeah. Like, about two years, right? quitting so, my job like, to do it, yeah. 
Exactly. I mean, you had a, a history of coach, like coaching special or like amateur sports and stuff like that before, and like as a, a career as a teacher. But you know, he's been in the industry less than two years yet, rubbing shoulders with and interacting with you know the established industry. Um, you know, you now have a project with Stronger You that's really taken off. Yeah. And one of the things that you did is you and Anthony Harder, your partner in that, you guys just dove into the information and knowledge and well, getting good at it. Like being so obsessed with coaching and understanding the intricacies with it and everything that like we we could be in a room with people and not and be smart where like everyone kind of skips that step. They're just like, I'm going to get my training certification and I'm going to learn a few things and then I'm fucking done. And I realized that once you learn stuff, you learn that you know nothing and there's so much more. It's mm. great. And then you dive down that hole and then you can kind of, I don't know, you can make a career off just learning because there's so much out there. Mm. Sorry, learning and then doing shit with it, but like, yeah, like, yeah. All right. Now there's just silence. It's like, uh, it just, but it's just like my rat would be <laughs> like, agree. you gotta, like, you gotta do the hard work. Like the hard work is the studying. Like you said, having a job, mm -hmm. studying and then doing the Instagram and then doing the writing. Like, but the main part is you still got to get good at things. And like, that takes like five hours a day for like years. And then you still That's suck compared to the people who did that for 10 years. They might suck at Instagram, but if you stepped in a room coaching with them, you suck. And I think mm -hmm. that if you just don't want to be the worst in a room, you, you, it's going to set you up for success at some point. You just got to kind of weather it. Well said. Yeah. All right. About luck. We just, we just like skip all our questions because like you just answer them all in your rants and then Andrew goes on a rant. It's, like, it's the best. It's the rant cast. Yeah. <laughs> and I, we, we were going to talk about luck in your career, but I don't even know if we want to go there. Um, I, well, I okay, let's, talk, let's, talk, let's talk about this. So you, you talked about how bodybuilding had a big influence on your career, I guess. But how much do you feel like luck did? And especially like you don't achieve your legacy or your contribution in the industry through luck. But I think like it, we'd, it'd be hard pressed to believe you didn't have some luck. But maybe, is, do you think it's consistency of putting yourself in that position to benefit from the good fortune? Or do you just think you got lucky? Like, what are your thoughts on that aspect of fitness? Both, man. So, um, I think being aware of the resources available to you is really, really important. Um, and part of that kind of looks like luck. Like, so, for example, before I got into fitness, my career path was leading me to work in like law enforcement or government. I did an enlistment in the Air Force uh, and I was a, uh, an Arabic translator for, for four years. Ended up fucking hating it and um, could not wait to get out and I did. But what that left me with was the GI Bill uh, and also the 9-11 top of GI Bill. So I had enough money uh, as someone who didn't really have my own money to actually fund myself all the way through my second master's. And then I built enough of an academic CV to get a good scholarship for my PhD. Um, and I really wouldn't have been able to uh, get the education in any way without being in massive debt uh, without having been in the Air Force. I also think that um, probably, yeah, and I think this is true. It's, it's always tough when you look back at kind of, you know, you make meaning where it may have not been at the time. But the first time I'd really pushed myself um, and seeing the reward of it was in basic training and then in trying to learn Arabic in, in the Air Force. Those were very, very hard. And I had always been kind of a slacker who with some natural talent in school previous to that point. Um, I also was a slacker in sport. Like I ran track and uh, I never really did the conditioning workouts. I didn't work out in the summer and I was pretty good. 
And I think I had a fear of both failure and success. I was very much kind of like that Vince Vaughn archetype from Dodgeball. If you know, if you don't, if you don't try hard, then you can't fail. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. Um, and you know, the first time I really started pushing myself was in was in the Air Force, and I think that probably planted the seed of wanting to to get a little more of that taste. And that really took form in bodybuilding. Like I said, you know, and I did my first bodybuilding prep. And I pushed my, I just decided I'm, I'm not going to not succeed. Uh, or, and then that just looked like getting on stage and actually looking like I belonged. Uh, not like, you know, winning a pro card or anything my first season, because that sure as hell didn't happen. But, um, but yeah, so I think that that was a huge life-changing point for me. And so being self-aware enough to, to recognize the opportunities I got from what seemed like yeah. a, a dead-end career choice, I think is all about perspective. But True luck definitely was there as well. Like, for example, that that whole Matt Ogus blow up, that just came from the, the, the random fact that that both of us lived in Sacramento and someone who I who trained at the same gym as me mentioned to him after he saw him in a show, hey, you might want to think about your next prep working with with this guy. And then he you know, literally just put an application. I talked to him on the phone um, and that kind of gave us our first step up in terms of a promotion. I think we would have gotten there eventually, but it, it fast-tracked us for sure. Um, you know, other things were just inviting Bryce Lewis to come lift with us on a Sunday after a show we did together and, um, you know, just connecting with him and, and uh, you know, creating a relationship there where he eventually asked me to, to train him into his first piloting meet and we still work together today. Like those, those just human connections uh, that kind of get yeah. put in your lap are... Uh, are things that a lot of people don't realize and just the value of actually being sociable at shows and, and, and meeting and connecting with people instead of being that hermit again, it opens up new doors. And, uh, yeah. so yeah, there's, there's been a fair amount of luck. I think hell, um, just being born in, in the, in the States, you know, that, that, that's a huge advantage, uh, to, 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 if I wanted to make a fitness impact, if I was born into to greater level of poverty or into a, a country where I didn't have the same kind of opportunities. I think um, I'm very grateful for, for just kind of where I started day one, you know? So yeah, uh, definitely a lot of luck there. Um, also just having the luck of doing the same show in 07 as Alberto Nunez and creating that friendship. Um, you know, he gave me a lot of confidence that we could coach. He showed me, Hey, I'm, I'm started to do this online coaching. People just approached me after my last season. Um, that that was that was really pivotal in, in 2008 when he did a bunch of, of, of shows and kind of won the gauntlet of amateur natural bodybuilding in California. Um, and uh, you know I was kind of the science guy, and he was very much had, had a following, and of course he was uh, knowledgeable himself as well. And we approached Jeff Alberts, who we just happened to have met in 09 when he came back out of retirement, and. He had the blog that was at the time just his personal blog about returning to the sport called 3D Muscle Journey, um, and the the convergence of, of of all those things allowed us to 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 create what we've created. So yeah, there's just a lot of uh, I guess converging points in life that came together that led me to be here. They, where they, I am today. they seem to all be un under the fact that you didn't have that pillar of just being obsessed with bodybuilding and and not ruining your life over, but only having that. Because all those networking opportunities probably happen because you're a normal person that likes stuff and you could talk mm -hmm. and be sociable. Like, it, it's pretty easy to get off of that if you're so obsessed with a certain goal. Like, people don't like that. <laughs> like, absolutely. And uh, 
And it, again, it's one of those things where it wouldn't have happened in, in, in 07 to the same degree. Yeah. Like, just to give you an idea of how much I was trying to play a role when I first got into this, and I didn't really know who I was, and that cold, like Frank, Mer like the, yeah. the Animal Pack ad <laughs> we talked about really spoke to me. I am a huge fan of hip hop. I used to break dance. I used to actually uh, create music. Um, and in my first show in 07, my posing music was Creed Higher. <laughs> I hate that song. That's a, that's, that's, that is not at all me at all. But I did it because I saw it as an example yeah. of what you're supposed to pose to as a bodybuilder. Yeah. And, and now it's this joke how, how like, hey, remember your first show, you posed to Creed <laughs> Higher. And, um, and I think like that, that's a great example of someone who is just way too early doesn't really know anything or, or more importantly, know themselves or know what their, their values are, uh, trying to, to fit into this, this crazy world that we have, you know, in my little corner of bodybuilding. And I don't think I would have connected with Jeff in, in the same way in 09, where he was a guy who was coming back to the sport after having done it, you know, in a way that was not conducive to being a human for so long. And he was coming back with the sense of, uh, balance, doing it for personal reasons, uh, and had value and deeper meaning behind it. And ironically, that's when he actually won his pro card and won, won all the shows as well. And because, you know, Birdo and I had competed in 07 and him in 08, and I was near the tail end of my own nine season, and I was starting to actually come into my own and think for myself and yeah. um, do bodybuilding for the right reasons. And I think that a lot of that had to do with my, my father passed away in that season as well we had a lot to connect with. Yeah. And so the timing was everything, you know, uh, an 07 or even an 08 Eric Helms would have probably just been some annoying kid who talked too much to Jeff and like versus Creed. someone say and, again. And, and then played Creed, even though you didn't like it. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Posing the music that he thinks a bodybuilder is supposed to pose to instead of actually, uh, you know, embracing the artistry of the sport. So yeah, like there was a lot of <laughs> uh, things and a lot of luck and a lot of timing that came into play just to, 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 to make us all be in the right parts of our life to where we would have connected. Like if, if Jeff had come back, had not retired and kept competing and he would have had a very different mentality that I wouldn't have related to. Yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, there's a ton of luck. There's always, there's always a ton of luck. Reason why I love the sort of concept of luck. And I think this applies two ways is there's a lot of people, probably younger people, but people who kind of are waiting for luck to give them that opportunity. <clears throat> and if you're waiting around for that without actually doing anything, well, that's a giant mistake, right? It's like buying lottery tickets. That's that kind of mentality. What I like to look at luck is and get people to understand is you still have to put in the work every day. You have to do all of these important things to put yourself in a position to benefit from good fortune when it appears. And, you know, I'm not going to get into detail. But I can think of a lot of juggling in my life where both I put myself in a good position and I benefited from it just because I was ready. And, and then there are a handful of things that, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't want to say this. There, I've also encountered a bunch of obstacles, a lot of like bad things. Uh, the departure from my old company uh, that I worked for and the opportunity that that provided, the kick in the pants I needed. And then of course my career especially jumped the last two years in a big way, largely because of getting away from that place. Um, but at the time it was sort of an uncomfortable difficult thing. So there can be opportunities within the obstacles. Uh, I always cite the book, uh, Ryan Holiday's uh, The Obstacles, The Way is a really, really good yeah. example of that. So 
I think if people prepare themselves for good opportunities, then they're set. And if you can take a really, really good attitude, control your attitude to face of things that go wrong, you'll find opportunities within that. So that's why I like that. I sort of fascinated with that concept. We're very similar to Eric and I because you, you hated your career you picked before. Like I, I didn't mm. hate teaching, but like shit happened. I, I, I had to leave and I just made the other choice, but I could have easily just kept doing what I was doing and hate my life. You know what I mean? Yep. So like, yeah. Is that luck or is it obstacles? I don't know, man. Maybe it's just good old fate. Yeah. Same yeah, and I, I think I, I, I agree with both of what you guys are saying. Like uh, opportunities will continue to present themselves to you. And through fear or comfort, you can choose not to see them or not leave yourselves open to them to your own detriment. You know, like when I got out of the Air Force, I had the opportunity to move to D.C. and work for the NSA in the same career field, you know, with much more career stability and a greater income than most 21 year olds have. Um, but I, <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't, you know, <laughs> I, I would have, that would have also meant, uh, taking what was a new burgeoning relationship that eventually became my, my current marriage that's been going on for 13 years next, next month, uh, and making it long distance, you know, which, which, like that, 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 that's always rocky, you know, that, that could have been uh, the end to a potential marriage and the, the, the delay or the not even happening of, of a career in fitness that has become really fulfilling. So I think, yeah, it's your comfort zone while you need to go there sometimes to recover, gather your forces, think, get support and then venture back out into the world. If it becomes uh, a little cave you lock yourself into, uh, then it no longer is a safe space. It's a place that's a danger to your own psychological development. And it's something that, that can, you know, retard your own growth going forward. And for your wife, you basically said she's the reason for your success, but in fewer words, obviously, but. Oh, yeah. And, well, in no uncertain terms <laughs> with, with all of the, uh, the, the, the joking and hearing that statement taking away, she very much is. I don't think, um, there's a few things in my life that, that I would not have, come out on the other side of in, 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 in the best way without her support. So yeah, absolutely. Well, let's take this now a step forward. And just the way I worded this was, though it would be difficult to predict the future, what forces do you see affecting our industry and the end user over the next five to 10 years? And what should trainers and clients be focused on going forward with fitness? Man, that, that, that's, a, it's a tough one because I don't know. <laughs> Again, this is the guy who got an Instagram in 2016. So uh, obviously I'm not probably not the best guy to take advice from on this. But I can say that I don't think the speed at which social media changes or the uh, unpredictability or the interesting avenues in which um, humans talk to each other, connect, create relationships, and which businesses can expand, especially service industry, uh, is going to slow down. Um, you know, if I look at how it was in 2009, 2010, we spent most of our initial engagement with potential clients explaining to them the pros and cons of working online with a coach. Now, sure, we can't be there with you. We can't meet in person. Uh, we won't be there to peek you on stage. But hey, you know, if, if you're limited to only choosing trainers in your local ge geography, you might not get a good one. And just because someone lives near you doesn't mean they're actually competent. Um, 
and hey, you know, with emails and videos and Skypes and all this stuff, we, we can do okay. And now it's like, I don't even need to spend any time telling someone that, uh, that online coaching is a viable option. There are more well-known online bodybuilding and, and, and powerlifting coaches than there are in person. You know, people don't uh, move to places to train at a gym anymore. Like, like back in, even in the mid 2000s, it was like, how do I get in at super training or how do I get in at Westside? Uh, or how do I, I got to move to LA and train at Gold's yeah, or tra- I've Charles Glass? Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. And, and it was all about you need to open a physical location and and you need to go to these these quote unquote meccas for uh, to go visit the mountain on high. And I think that's cool. But at the same time, um, it's changed so much. I can go back and forth with video messages with my clients. I can talk with them live on Skype, regardless of where I live and where they live. Um, it's everyone has a phone. You can take them to the gym and no one really cares if you film at gyms anymore, which has changed a lot. Even just the last five years you used to, if you used to whip out a phone or a camera in even 2010 or 11 for your YouTube channel, you'd quickly get a gym staff person saying, Hey, uh, privacy, this, that, that, that. And they're probably still right. It's, I just think it's so normalized <laughs> that no one stops you now, you know? Um, and so I can get easily, I can get videos of my heaviest lifts from my, my, my power lifters. I can get weekly updates and posing updates from my, 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 my bodybuilders. I can walk through bodybuilding coach, coaching, uh, and email videos, Skype with people. Uh, so it's, it's become a vastly different opportunity for, for training. And I don't think that's going to change. I think we're going to be able to have uh, better connectivity with our clients. And I think social media is going to change in ways that really, uh, aren't expected, but also, um, will give a lot of opportunities. So I think, I think it goes back to uh, what we were talking about earlier is focus on being really, really good at your craft. That should always be, I think, number one priority, but also don't be a Luddite, you know, don't be someone who uh, gets frustrated with, with, with the changes in technology. Don't, like don't be your grandpa, you know, that's, that's kind of the thing, unless he's awesome and he's different. And on Instagram. But <laughs> there you go. <laughs> if Mine's your grandpa not. has a selfie on Instagram, then awesome. Then, then do be your grandpa. But I think we all can think of examples of, yeah, I have X, Y, or Z family member, aunt, uncle, mother, father, grandfather, who I have to walk through how to download like the newest update for their computer. And you simply can't be that if you want to be relevant in online space for, for, for fitness or anything really. So I think just staying abreast of how social media changes valuing that understanding that having a platform is the only way you can get a good message out. Like, yeah, you have to have a good message, but if you don't have a platform, it, it unfortunately does not matter. So I, I, besides just telling people to, to, to stay abreast of it, keep people around you who that is their, their thing, like just as much as fitness is your thing uh, that that'll do you a whole ton of good. How this, you might have a good perspective on this cause you guys do a lot of online stuff and I had this conversation after like, I think I went to the gym to do like a powerlifting coaching. I was just there coaching. I was like, oh man, like it's kind of nice to get back and have my coaching eye. How important do you think it is for people, especially that think online is the next big thing to kind of keep that coaching sharp? And does that, does losing that edge essentially make them worse at online? You know what I mean? It can. Yeah. yeah I think if you see online coaching as a wholly separate thing from coaching in person, you've kind of lost connectivity with the idea that fitness is about movement, right? And I think like if you look at the, I think the medium will often dictate where the conversation goes and the priorities. 
So if you look at like kind of the evidence-based online community of trainers, we talk about periodization, we talk about programming, we talk about cool things to do with Excel, uh, we talk about which software is best for communicating with people, we talk about manipulating macronutrients, we don't focus on foods as much, um, because those are all things that are much easier to manipulate and concentrate on uh, when you're online. But the, the availability bias of believing that therefore those are the most important things that's that is a bias yeah. like actually teaching people how to navigate uh, their their nutrition by going with them to the store like I used to do with my clients and taking them through a day of shopping and walking them through a nutritional label and sitting down and teaching them how, how to eat and how to structure their day and going through their schedule um, and watching them move is really really important and being able to actually touch them uh, if, with permission of course like for example posing coaching is easily five times as effective if I can physically be there, touch them, pose right next to them, have them do it, tell them to focus on this, that, and X, Y, and Z. Like every time we get together and have a 3DMJ seminar, the the, the, the five or four of us coaches, we, we, we sit there, we look at each other and go, that is so much easier than Skype. <laughs> like I can get that done in minutes compared to what might, might take me four or five check-ins, which is the equivalent of yeah. four or five weeks, right? So um, yeah, the, the, I think... It's really, really important to, if you're going to work into online coaching, to have started doing in-person coaching or do it concurrently and to keep that skill. Like, I'm grateful that I get to uh, do seminars relatively frequently because I, I no longer do in-person coaching. I do train at, at a gym, obviously, and help people here and there, but I'm not a personal trainer anymore. Uh, and, I, and I'm not going to be, but I do get to do practical days at yeah. seminars. And, and that skill, I can notice I'm not as good yeah. as I was in 2000. 10. I still got it. Like I'm still yeah. good, but I don't have the same kind of, um, breadth and processing speed that I used to have when I was, you know, 2011 at the peak of my, my training, I'd say. I sort of noticed this. I feel like in our industry now, there's almost this rush to get online as a trainer. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously there's uh, really great products out there like, uh, John Goodman's online trainer Academy, which, which is fantastic. It really can teach you how to set up the business. But I feel like there's also a lot of people out there selling this idea that you're living off your laptop on a beach, traveling everywhere <laughs> as a new trainer. And it goes back to what we were saying before about skipping steps. But I'm not so sure. We know that there are a lot of people who are very successful with their online businesses and companies. People have been doing it a long time. You know, again, like uh, someone like John Romanello has had a ton of success with it. That's not that other. many, man. Like in terms of like the whole context that, of it in terms of like all the people buying and that shit it's very i would say very few are that successful you know what i mean well that's what i'm sort of saying is i feel like there's a rush to get away from training in person yeah training can be a very stable and incredibly rewarding and lucrative thing like it's it's treated me incredibly well to the point where as i dabble in online do a little bit of it like my bread and butter is in person. It, it probably always will be is what i love to do and i think for some of the trainers because we have a lot of uh, fitness professionals who listen to this, you know, obviously you have to decide what you want in life, but don't be in a rush to get away from that world because I love the human interaction. I love spending time with my clients. Uh, I do love being in a gym environment. And I go, you got to be good at it though. Like, it's like, it's like Eric was, he, he bodybuilt, like, you know what I mean? Like you were a pro, like you were good at something like that takes years. Like, and you could train all you want, like whatever, like that'll take a base level of hours. But like a lot of these people haven't done shit and then their powerlifting coaches is like, you can do it, but like that experience actually doing it is like invaluable. 
let's get Dean going here. Or you've been in the game a little while, and now you're a business coach. Which is, no, I'm not, uh, I'm not getting into that. Eric, Eric had the best response I've ever fucking seen to like not call out online business coaches or fit pros, with, but did. It was the best. <laughs> it's like literally I've never – Usually it's always like a rat and people are mad. You just like laid it out. Like this is your life now. And this is your life in 10 years. It, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's all the same. Stuff. Well, you're, you're almost always wrong when you treat someone like they're, they've got a top hat and they're twizzling their evil mustache yeah. and they're about to tie someone up, put them on the train tracks. Like, Oh, these fit pros are ruining the industry because they're evil. Like, Come on, man. Like, it's not G.I. Joe and Cobra. These people, if they knew better, they would do better, right? So they they get early success because they've got a great body. Or maybe they even get early success because they're really smart. Yeah. And then they just capitalize on that to the detriment of other things and they get trapped. And I I think I'm – speaking of luck, I'm, I'm lucky that it didn't happen. Like, I, I didn't have a great physique, but I had a good enough physique. I probably could have popped up on Instagram and at least got like 10K back in the day, yeah. you know, like – Enough to get paid for to, it anyways, but yeah, enough you, you to become got a hustler who didn't who didn't know anything exactly, right? You know, and enough to get lost in obscurity five years later, and and then switch back to maybe doing like something I hated, you know. Well, so I think it comes down to that yeah. purpose, though. Like it, it's that thing you hate, and like you painted the picture of like your life looks like this, and you got away from what you liked, so you basically mm -hmm. lost purpose, and that has a whole host of issues on your physical abilities, mental abilities, like yes. your life, your stress, everything. Just from that lack of purpose and stepping away from that, I think is is a huge mistake. I think a lot of people are making, and I just don't want to see it. Like I can get mad all I want, but it's like literally, it's 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 upsetting that people give up what they like. Absolutely, which is what we all get into it for, and it's not to help people generally. It's generally because we like fucking lifting or bodybuilding or powerlifting or like just doing fitness stuff. You know what I mean? And then we then we tell everyone we want to help people, but it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> We do, but it's like a it's like a a, a benefit of being good and liking your life, because you can't help other people if you're not fucking secure. No, I think I think that's very true. Like, um, I think I I learned how much I enjoyed and how much I got out of giving to others selflessly yeah. from doing it. Yeah. It wasn't like I was born Mother Teresa and I was like, you know what I want to do is dedicate my life to helping others. Um, yeah, I wish I wish that was true. But I think what really happens is you just see how much better everything is in your life. Yeah. And when you make those kind of connections Absolutely. and you help people and how rewarding that is. So see, I, way I nicer, way better said than I did. Like I came off angry <laughs> and you came off like exactly what I had in my head that didn't come out that way. So I, I thank you for that. No problem. I should just send you stuff very angrily and you just like decipher it, write it out. I, I'm not going to pay you, but... <laughs> That's your Thanks. new. That's I appreciate your new, it. Yeah. I know you got a lot on your plate, but that's your new role. <laughs> I think this goes to something that's really valuable. We right at the end, we'll we'll tell people how to find you on social media. But one of the best things about having followed someone like yourself, and and going back to, I credit Dean Somerset for a lot of this with me because I tend to be very black and white in my thinking. Um, I'm sort of a difficult personality at times, and Dean is through his example softens a lot of the way that I approach this stuff. And it goes to kind of what you said there about G.I. Joe versus Cobra. And I like that because to quote Mark Fisher, it's like that unconditional positive regard and understanding that people this is the way I like to say it. They don't get out of bed in the morning going, Hmm, how can I be fucking evil today? How can I hurt someone else? How can I cause problems for someone else? That's not how 
99% of the population wants. You genuinely find a sociopath who wants to hurt people, then you know you stay the fuck away from them. <laughs> Everybody else is out there trying to feed their kids. They love their mom, and they're. Pr and I have to remind myself of this because I see people doing what I think is some pretty immoral shit when they're fucking around with aggressively recruiting with multi-level marketing garbage or. There's a few other things that drive me a bit nuts, but I still have to remember that's a human being with human motives who is not setting out in the world to actually harm anyone else. We just have different sort of sets of ethics. I think if we can remember that, we're going to go a long way. And then what you said about like, giving, so that kind of ties into what we always ask everybody. It made me think of the book, The Go-Giver, which is really about just making a lot of your purpose about giving, 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 giving to other people that will lead to success. So the question we always ask is, is there a book that you've read that has had a really profound influence on you in your career, your philosophy about this? Does it have to be one book? You no, can you list can do whatever off. you want. It just can't be a study because all you PhDs list studies. It's like so <laughs> annoying. You have so, to uh, Carnegie at all 1965. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a few books that have, I think had a very positive effect on, on me and related to that. So one is The Alchemist by uh, Paulo Coelho which is a great short book just on kind of self-discovery and having some honesty and integrity and, and uh, humility and also courage to, to, to put yourself out there and figure out what, uh, who you are, I think. Um, Way of the Peaceful Warrior is a really good book by Dan Millman. Um, and that one is kind of a cool, fantastical tale about a you know young athlete who goes through an accident and he's kind of a like a d-bag when it starts and he becomes someone who unlocks deeper meaning or unlocks more out of himself through finding deeper meaning and, and, and humility that's a really good book I, I enjoyed that a lot uh and then as far as like a content creator perspective and not getting wrapped up into the kind of all that stuff we talked about um the perennial seller by holiday is, is is a really really good book that i enjoyed it kind of breaks down a lot of the myths of kind of the way we see uh, you have two options, um, put out good work and not be successful or put out the one hit wonder, the big bang thing that explodes. And then that's the only way to make money. Um, and in reality, some of the, the, the most grossing films that are out there were not blockbusters. Like, for example, uh, the Shawshank Redemption is, is the, a great example he uses, was not popular when it first came out, believe it or not. You know, didn't win Best Picture. I think Forrest Gump did that year, um, and but it had this slow cult-like following and slow, slow, steady burn to where now, if you turn on a TV anywhere, it's probably going to have Shawshank Redemption, Redemption on some channel, and the amount of money that's been produced from that is incredible, and it's because it's a really damn good movie. Yeah. So I think uh, those those three books are probably gave me a lot of influence and in kind of how I carry myself through the world and, and all that stuff you just mentioned. Yeah. You're not the first person to mention the alchemist on. I actually wish I could remember who it was, but I know it's been said before. And then I love anything that Ryan Halby writes. So again, mm -hmm. I mentioned The Obstacles Away earlier, which I feel like his, is his best book. He goes the enemy is a good one. And then Perennial Seller is just incredible. I think anyone in our industry should probably read those books. Just to understand mm -hmm. how he thinks, because it's very applicable to a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, let's do the whole, like, you're going to tell us where you find us, but like, give us a breakdown of everywhere online and on social media that people can find your work and 3d, 3dmj content. 
Easiest place to go is 3dmusclejourney.com. That's the number three, the letter D, then Muscle Journey. From there, you can find links to my books, The Muscle and Strength Pyramids. You can find links to Mass, Monthly Applications and Strength Sport. And you can find a link to the 3DMJ Vault, where we have uh, courses for powerlifters and bodybuilders and coaches on how to lift, uh, you know, virtual seminars on, on everything related to bodybuilding and powerlifting. Uh, and you can also find a link. There's our blog and our podcast, all of our free content. And then if you want kind of my day-to-day -day posts uh, where I talk a little bit about the, the history of lifting, a little bit about science, and a little bit about uh, my own personal journeys and then journeys of our athletes, you can check me out at Helms3DMJ on Instagram. And you dance a bit. A bit. Like, a little like, bit. That's not... I, I, I love to dance, and I, uh, I like I said, I used to be a break dancer. But don't expect to go on Instagram and have just like endless videos. No, of you me save you save it. I think like you're one of the good ones who like you save it for the right moment, and then you just it, it's like a flash, and it's gone. Yeah, you're like I can still I still got it. That's <laughs> right. What do you think? I don't know if you'll find this interesting or not, but I just saw a news story where uh, Alfonso Ribeiro Carlton from the Fresh Prince has filed a lawsuit against the makers of Fortnite for the use of his Carlton dance in the game without asking his permission. Great move. He's gonna be that's, that's going down right now. He's going to win. That's so smart. Like, they have so much money. Like, here, take it. We're still good, using good it. Good for Carlton. Yeah. Respect. And that's now cool. I'm going to have to, like, like say TM before any time I do the Carlton <laughs> dance just to, to make sure I, I'm paying respect to the trademark. He's in the process of trademarking it. So if you've got a signature dance, Eric, you may want to trademark it. You're, you know what? No, he's not big enough. You're not the Carlton. It's not going to happen anytime I soon. I haven't. I got to get on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air first, yeah. which will be impossible since that show was canceled, but it's still a goal of mine. Yeah. So, All right. See you, man. Stick around. Take it hey, thanks for coming on. Um, we always do this, too. For anyone who's listening who's found us for the first time through Eric, uh, so we're going to make a nice graphic for him and hopefully we'll catch some eyes. It'll be dodgeball. Jim Howie. Yes. It's dodgeball. He brought it up. That's that's the graphic. We've had Greg Knuckles on here before and a lot of other really brilliant people who travel in the same sort of circles. If you hang out next week, we should have Sohi Lee back on the podcast if everything times right. So he's been on before. We've had some really smart people like James Krieger and Brad Dieter and a whole lot of Mike Isertel. So if you sift through our episodes, we're in the seventies now. You may find some stuff that interests you, and if you and, like it, and for and our Andy Morgan, Andy Morgan had one where he talked about um, Andy. Yeah, remember? Like, I think I think Eric knows Andy. He basically told us he just <laughs> he, he just held your pocket. Is what he, he calls it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that that's probably an overly humble way of looking at it. He uh, he did a great job of yeah. uh, of, of of showing his, his worth and 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 how he could be really helpful to me getting our the content of the pyramids out. So Andy's been a great asset and very helpful to me. Andy's really entertaining and I always make light of the fact that I, I, I wanted to call his episode Long Thoughtful Pauses with Andy Morgan because he speaks <laughs> so slowly that you you constantly wonder if you've lost the connection yeah. <laughs> mid sentence with Andy. I'm sure you've talked to him enough to know what I'm talking about. So uh, but he's a blast. And then of course we had uh, Alberto Alvarez on our friend who turned around and took this stuff and, and dropped it in Spanish. So we've made lots of jokes about it. If you guys speak a language, you're in a country where there's not a lot of information about training, what you should do is go to Eric or Alberto through uh, through Andy, through Eric, and <laughs> the, the pyramids and translate them into Swahili or Finnish or something else that's not been done yet. So 
You could uh, obviously make a lot of money translating this into everything around the world. We are in the works. That's all I will say on that. <laughs> so we're definitely aware of that, and hopefully we'll be getting a more international uptake of good quality information. So I'm excited about that. You guys like explore this stuff too, because I mean, these are this is such good information. There's a reason why it's being translated into other languages and being shared around the world. If you're a new trainer and you're looking for great resources to learn the fundamentals of this stuff, go to 3DMJ, explore this stuff. These are really good products that I think that if you started there, you're doing a really, really good job versus trying to grow your Instagram account. But I think you could actually do both at the same time. And then if you have the quality of the information and also you know how to gain more of a reach, which is really critical, I think you're on the route to success. Eric, thank you so much for coming on here. This was a blast. Uh, My hang pleasure. Quick after we get off air, audience, thank you so much. If you liked it, you can use some shares, some subscribe, some five star reviews. It always helps us. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Shut up and sit down.